live. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sachin Adam Show. So if you've been listening to our podcast lately, we've been having a range of really amazing guests. And a few weeks ago, we had Lily Wu, which by the airing of this episode would have been live. And you would have heard her incredible stories of starting two um, six-figure companies before the age of 22. After the episode, we actually spoke to Lily and we're like, do you, do you recommend anyone else? And she um, recommended Evan, who we have on the podcast today, who's done some incredible things, which Adam will introduce in a second. But I think it's worth noting that um, Evan was recently uh, indoctrinated into the Forbes top 30 under 30, which is pretty incredible from, uh, for a humble boy from Sydney. So Evan's done a range of really, really cool things that we admire a lot. So basically, he um, did a combined degree of commerce and law at UNSW after going to high school at um, Sydney Boys High. And he took a bit of a non-traditional path by sort of going into entrepreneurship when a lot of people that do com law would be going into law, banking and consulting, which we'll touch on after. But Evan ended up starting um, his own tutoring and tuition company called Hero Education. And after that, he also started a company called Checkbox AI, which is a software and AI company, which um, we'll definitely delve into later. But first question, Evan. So we've looked at a bunch of uh, the videos of you on the internet. So you gave a really, really great TED talk, which was talking about high school and the sort of paths which people take after high school and about how a lot of those paths are really linear. So what questions do you think that students should be asking themselves whilst they're at university so they don't go on that linear path? Yeah, so firstly, thank, thank you for having me, by the way, Sachin and Adam. Love the energy in your podcasts. Um, so what questions should you know, students be asking themselves um, at this point in trying to, I mean, first of all, really think about why is it important to ask these questions? I think a lot of people tend to just pigeonhole themselves into um, sort of career paths because it's part of the education system. And um, there's certain, as you mentioned, you do com law, you're expected to go into law or banking or consulting, right? But fundamentally, it's about trying to work out what brings you the most joy, what brings you the most enjoyment um, in your day-to-day -day life, what gets you out of bed, um, what legacy do you want to leave behind? And, um, and that may not always be the traditional career paths. It, it may be the, career, the traditional career path, but it may not be. And so that's why questioning, um, uh, questioning that is really, really important. I think a really easy way to sort of like as a framework to think about what um, to discover as being your purpose or being your sort of... Um, your, your, your ideal career path in life is some basic fundamentals like, do you like working on um, new things every single day, like new challenges and, and you're forced to learn? Or do you like sort of being on top of just one thing really well and sort of repeating that? Are you a numbers person or are you more of a, a, a word type person? Um, do you like working in teams or working individually? Do you like traveling overseas or, or, or working you know, locally in Australia? So all these sort of fundamental building block questions are things you can ask that then sort of map towards certain types of career paths, right? Um, but fundamentally, I wouldn't say that it's about asking the right questions. It's actually around um, experiences, actually putting yourself in different scenarios and exposing yourself uh, to all sorts of different things to actually work out what you don't like and what you do like. And often it's easier to figure out what you don't like uh, in, order to, in order to narrow down to what you actually do like to do. So um, I would say, yeah, ask questions, but take action. Um, that's the key thing. 
Yeah, and that's something we've heard time and time again on this podcast, which is you can't over-intellectualize what you want to do with your life, right? Certain things are going to feel a certain way when you get into that moment, when you try that internship. And what Adam and I also say is that you don't even have to go try the internship. You could literally go to have a coffee with a founder. Like, let's say... I'm Sachin, I'm, I'm really interested in entrepreneurship. I could hit up someone like you and be like, okay, what's a day in the life in the founder? You may tell me like you don't sleep much and stuff, but you're incredibly energetic. And I might go talk to a lawyer and they also don't sleep that much, but they don't seem to love what they're doing as much. And then that kind of gives me a sense of what it's like um, a day in the life. So yeah, so Evan, it seems like you've had these entrepreneurial tendencies from a young age. You founded um, Hero Education. Was it your first year of uni? Uh, yeah, it was my first year of uni. I was 17 at the time. Wow. Okay. Can you, can you give us a bit of a narrative of how that came about? Yeah, for sure. So um, the funny thing is I never thought that I would be an entrepreneur. Um, it wasn't really a conscious decision. And the word startup definitely wasn't um, uh, a known term back, back when I started my first business hero. Uh, and it was, I think it's the sort of um, the inter like it's just my nature. When I started uh, hero education, it started because uh, I think at the time my mother's workmate um, had a daughter who was going through their HSC and was saying, okay, Evan, you did pretty well. Can you tutor my daughter? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? But rather than just doing what every other private tutor did um, at the time, uh, for some reason, I decided to come up with a fake logo. Well, it wasn't fake. I, I guess I came up with a logo. Um, I came up with a, a business name. I um, started to write materials and build sort of processes and infrastructure around what was really just one customer, one student. Um, and because I put in that work in the beginning, I was able to then very quickly scale um, and build a brand that wasn't a personal brand, but an organizational brand. And before I knew it, I had you know, a pile of students and, and then people came to me and asking for jobs and hired my first team. And before I knew it, I was, I was an entrepreneur um, by, I guess, uh, nature rather than by intent. And, um, uh, and when I think back to Hero as well, um, and it's only when I think back retrospectively that I realized I had very entrepreneurial tendencies. I was quite a hustler. Um, I would used to wake up really, really early in the morning, print out a whole bunch of sort of paper flyers and cut them out manually at home. Um, and then start handing them out in front of, you know, train stations and schools like that. And I used to do that quite a lot and even approach people on, on trains and say, hey, do you, need, do you need tuition? So, you know, that, that kind of like putting yourself out there and hustling was something that I did a lot of. And I think that translated a lot when I, when I then uh, obviously started Checkbox as well um, out, of, out of university. Yeah, that's really interesting because that's something we hear a lot um, about that people often don't plan and theorize what business they're going to start, but it just sort of comes to them through a natural progression. Like you started tutoring someone and you thought, hey, I'm going to create a brand. And then it just sort of naturally glided into there. So w with Hero, what was it like actually scaling it? So obviously at the start, you were just sort of being a normal tutor and then you started to have to manage people, manage this organization and a brand. What, how were the skills differing when you had to scale? Yeah, so the great thing about being an entrepreneur is that every single stage of your business, and that's micro as well as macro changes in scale, require you to develop new skills and new experiences. That's why it's so exciting. Like, it's never the same. Um, as you grow your business, your role changes dramatically, right? I went from heads, I went from like, yeah, just, just, just like normal tuition, heads down, developing materials to starting to having to develop like infrastructure out of need. So a really good example is... Um, I remember back in the day, I used to, uh, when, I, when I charged, because, you know, I was so focused on the, on the um, 
uh, on the on the education piece, the, the sort of tutoring piece, that I wasn't thinking that much about the back end sort of finance and the operations um, in the early days. And I remember it was really messy. So um, even the records of when students last paid was not that clear. And so I had a lot of um, discrepancies with parents and things like that at the time. And that sort of that kind of problem in the business, that critical problem then uh, pushed me to develop sort of proper invoicing and proper bookkeeping and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, again, not so much around, uh, uh, I mean, if you, if you had the foresight of knowing everything um, that would come, that's amazing. Um, but often it's by making those critical first mistakes and then learning quickly from it so it doesn't you know, ruin your reputation and destroy the, and destroy the, the business. Um, so we went from sort of scaling it was, was definitely through experience. It went from sort of teaching to setting up the backend infrastructure to hiring people, developing a hiring framework so that you can actually scale your ability. Because at the end of the day, if you're building a service business, um, you know, it needs to scale outside of just you because, uh, you know, you maintain quality and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, then, and then sort of after that, once you have like a steady business, it's like, how do I now create the strategies um, to to grow the value or the, or the customer base in the existing um, company that you have. Yeah, that's really cool. Really cool. So you, you started that during university and then something that's maybe a little bit counterintuitive to some people is that you finished university and you stayed at Hero Education and kept on scaling that. Did you feel any pressure to enter the other sort of prestigious industries straight after university? Uh, I did. I was a pretty uh, relatively typical com law kid. I was looking at, you know, management consulting um, as being potentially a, a path that I would take. And um, I guess for me, I had a really interesting mindset when I was finishing up university. I was thinking about, <clears throat> well, I have the rest of my life to make money and grow uh, my career. So what's the rush, right? So when I finished up university, I was thinking I have the rest of my life to, to do my career and make money. What's the rush? So how can I um, make most of the time between uni and starting work, which is a very unique part of, you know, uh, of your life in, in the same way that between finishing high school and university, there's that special window where you really just don't have any obligations. And, you know, it's, it's very unique there. So what I did was I actually had a grad offer, right? And um, I said to them, hey, can I get 12 months off um, without, without you know, starting? And they said, well, that's really going to screw up our recruitment cycle. So no, uh, but we'll give you six months. And I was like, fine, I'll take it. I'll take six months before, before I start work. And it was actually within those six months that I then put a challenge to myself to try and build um, a business that would be validated to a certain level so I wouldn't have to go back and take my grad job. So I actually did it in a very objective way where I set myself certain like goals and it was kind of like, all right, you know, the grad job's kind of a safety net. If I don't meet certain you know, traction levels, I'll take that grad job. Um, but long behold, within those six months, uh, I was able to bring on a, an investor that was willing to put in six, six figures into the business as an investment. I was like, all right, this is not going to be a, an opportunity that's going to come by again in the future uh, very easily. So I decided to, to turn down the grad roll and stick with checkbox. My, um, my parents obviously weren't that... Um, in, uh, they were supportive, but they weren't that bullish on that approach for sure. Uh, they were like, you should go and do three, four years in consulting, get some real world experience. You know, what do you know about the real world? How are you going to solve problems? Uh, but, you know, I stuck to my gut feel and um, yeah, it's, it's been good. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think it's important to highlight here that when people say entrepreneurship or corporate world and stuff, there's so much gray in between, right? And as you said, you, you took away, do you essentially hedge your risk? 
um, you, you took down the path. It's not, it's not, you didn't do a Zuckerberg dropout and um, start a company with nothing to go back to. You did hedge your risk. And I think that the more and more entrepreneurs we're talking to now, they're doing those kinds of things a little bit more. I think this age of the college dropout isn't as popular as it was in 2010, 2012. Um, so yeah, that, that was a nice segue into Checkbox. And Checkbox is a 12X award, 12 times award-winning company. And that's what got you on Forbes top 30 under 30. So if you could um, give an explanation to our audience about what Checkbox does and how, um, what the process was like building it. Sure. So Checkbox is basically a no-code platform for business automation. What that means is we actually empower people who don't know how to code to use drag and drop and build their own software to make their lives better, right? So um, we work primarily with, like, say, lawyers or accountants or, you know, HR professionals, procurement specialists. And the idea is that in a lot of their day-to-day -day work, they have to deal with documents, they have to collect information, they have to do approvals and it's all really, really manual and it takes up a lot of time and introduces risk. So when you think about their traditional career paths as well, they don't know how to code. So they can't improve their quality of life at work. And what we have is a platform, like a, a set of digital building blocks um, or like Lego blocks. And they literally just drag and drop uh, and it is able to build their own software without having to go to an IT team, without having to, you know, go back to like an expensive software vendor. Um, and I was going to say, would a way to describe it be like the Canva for um, software design? Yeah, yeah. That's a really good way to put it, right? So where Canva has democratized graphic design uh, or Wix, as an example, has democratized website design, right? Or Squarespace, whatever you, whatever yeah. you use. Yeah, Checkbox democratizes the development of, uh, yeah, business application software. So if Adam and I ever build a um, platform, this is for our audience, it's probably going to be on Checkbox. <laughs> Um, definitely want to jump into the trends of these sort of um, like software as a service sort of businesses, but just jumping back a step. So you sort of founded this because you didn't want to take your grad job. You wanted to see if you could have your own independent company. Why was it this sort of industry? How did you scope out this problem and what sort of inspired you to do it? Yeah. So again, like so much of entrepreneurship is pure execution. I mean, that's why all my answers don't really answer the question directly. It's just me executing and getting to a certain point. Because even how did I come up with this? How do I identify this problem? How did we even start Checkbox? It, it is literally just starting with something and then being really good at executing towards the right direction and making Evan, the right Evan, how do, you, do you have any like insight about how to be a good executor? Because we hear this a lot, but I don't think that, I know that it's very um, specific to the business you're in, um, probably in trying to solve, but do you have any like holistic um, kind of, commentary on what being a good executor is about? Yeah. So um, one thing would be, it, look, first of all, it's a mindset, right? It's a mindset of let's just go and do it rather than over-engineering it um, hypothetically. So a very good example of this, right? And if I make this tangible is historically, when you build a business, you think about, all right, let's, let's put together a business plan, right? I remember back in um, university as well, in, in one of the courses or something like that, uh, you know, they were, they were getting us to practice building a business plan. You know, that's completely, completely useless for startups. In startups, there's a whole new sort of, uh, it's not even that new anymore, but there's, there's another method newer than the business plan anyway, which is the lean um, canvas, sorry, the lean um, startup canvas, right? Which is a business plan on a page effectively. So it's really um, that methodology of let's not write a 40 page document, but instead just summarize who our customers, revenue models and problems are. 
is 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 reflective or is a reflection of the mindset in in startup where you just literally need to uh, do like don't over plan just start doing because often what happens with startup um, and starting a new business is you start with so many assumptions that as soon as you over plan and you take it into the real world it's all going to fall apart and so it's much better to go through that sort of hypothesis go into the real world and test it and then learn from that experience um, to iterate very quickly um, and, and that, that's a big part of execution. It's actually just going out there and doing it and learning very well from that. Another big part of execution is what I just mentioned there as well is um, the ability to learn. In order to be a successful founder, you have to be so good at learning. Like you have to be, have to be an absolute sponge. The reason why is in, in two forms. One is you don't actually know uh, many parts of operating a business when you start a startup. Because in order for a business to be stood up, you need to know a lot about your customers product design perhaps or service design actually building the product or service finance operations legals right um you know partnerships internationalization there's so many areas that you're not expected to know when you start but you do need to actually learn it all in the course of doing you know of growing a business so you have to be really good at learning as a as a founder um yeah and then the second part of of learning is around uh, experiences. So being able to run experiments and actually synthesize information and then build that back into, into, you know, the next decision as well. It sounds like stuff that we need to be taught way more at university, because as you said, the idea of creating a business model, is just so old school and you feel like it's for traditional businesses and sort of stagnant industries. Whereas with like high growth, high tech startups, things are constantly changing and you don't really know what's going to work out, which is why that sort of lean methodology needs to be really important. So something I want to ask um, as well is that sort of part of checkbox is that you're essentially creating a software as a service. You're saying to people that you don't have to code this, but we'll help you do things easier. And we've seen other sort of companies like um, Wix and Canva doing this. Where do you see this trend going? Because a lot of people are starting to see this has been a really sort of huge, like secular trend in technology of these services becoming easier for just individuals without the knowledge. Yeah, definitely. And, and look, it's reflected in um, investors as well. There's such a huge um, focus now, investors globally, on no-code technology. It really is becoming quite a, quite a, quite a movement. Um, for me, right, no-code is super important and making, making a, uh, software accessible is very, very important because when you think about the world, the world's only going to get more and more digital. Um, the expectations of services being delivered digitally is dramatically increasing, right? And it's always driven by the consumer level, right? So you look at all the different sort of consumer interactions that we have that are, you know, really great experiences that are all digital. Now, the challenge is that not many people um, can code. And whilst you may argue, okay, but surely over time, we'll start embedding programming and coding into, into school and the education program, <clears throat> fundamentally, even in the future, there's never going to be um, the base skill set for everyone to know how to code because there still needs specialization. You'll still need lawyers who are specialized in, 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 in you know, the law and we still need engineers that specialize in you know, civil engineering. So in the future where the expectation of digitization is so high, yet fundamentally the skill set of everyone is not specialist in coding, there's going to be a gap. There's going to be a huge gap. And that's where no-code tools play a huge part of bridging that gap to empower people who might know a little bit about programming or nothing at all, 
but to be able to build at least, you know, 50% of the software that they need to do their work um, and the other 50% being more specialized software where actual software engineers would be spending their time. Yeah, and I think that being young um, uni students and making our way into workforce, we should be so grateful for these kind of technologies. Like literally, we could jump on within one day, get a website up on Wix, um, get a workflow up on Checkbox, do the design on Canva, with, literally within a day. And we've had friends that have started podcasts within a day, done the logos, and before that used to take a huge investment. And so it's really democratized the process of starting something new. And Adam and I have been talking about this trend a lot that we think that almost most people are going to have their own podcast or their own little blog or a little bit of content on the internet very soon. Um, so wh where do you kind of see, is there any future trends you see in business? And what, what, what do you think, this is a very Peter TL question, but like, what do you think of the new businesses of the future are going to be? Yeah. So there's actually a movement now already called citizen development, right? Um, and citizen development uh, as a trend is literally anybody, citizen being anybody, can be developing and creating their own software. Um, and that's sort of, as you mentioned already, people are already creating their own websites, um, setting up their own, uh, you, know, you know, blogs and, and podcasts um, in a matter of, you know, minutes because of these the development in technology. It's making things more accessible to create, which is amazing, right? Um, I think right now we're moving into that, that world where, okay, you can create websites and create, um, you know, like podcast portals and things like that. But the next stage is now, how do we actually create heavyweight software and make that accessible? Um, and, uh, uh, and, so, and so I think in, in the future, you'll have um, the decentralization of software development, uh, where it's not just the IT teams, it's literally any person at their desk um, in the course of the work can see an opportunity and actually develop something similar to how they might use Excel today, right? Or similar how they might use Word document. Um, they would be able to use something like Checkbox and actually build um, something to automate, you know, uh, part of their work and make, make um, create a digital experience for, say, a client or a customer as well. Mm, something that comes to mind when I hear about this is that technology is such a deflationary force in the sense that these are such amazing products and they just cut costs for literally everyone. Yeah. And that what we're seeing at the moment is this sort of secular trend, again, of just inflation going lower and lower while technology and innovation just keeps on rising. Mm. Yeah, no, that is super interesting. Have you, have you ever considered a movement, a move, sorry, towards Silicon Valley, the US, um, for checkbox? Or are you staying in Sydney? Uh, Look, have considered it 100%. I'm still considering it now. I've actually got a um, our chief product officer at the moment. He's a guy called Ken, and he's sort of um, he's he's you know a, a, a few years a few years in inverted commas older than I am, and um, he has actually built many global businesses, um, very successful tech businesses um, that have all sort of um, made a lot of a lot of money, and he's always pushing me to go to Silicon Valley because he's telling me that's a totally different. Well, Evan, if we're going to grow checkbox um, into a billion dollar company, you've you got to move to the States. And he's, and he's always pushing me saying, all right, book the ticket for next week. Um, so he's, he's really keen for me to head out that way. Um, I, think the, I think it's part of sort of os, osmosis of the environment as well. Um, you know, when, when people are setting standards uh, differently over there and, and the conversations um, and the talent is different. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite attractive. So we'll see how we go. Um, I'm going where the, the business needs me at the moment. So I've spent a lot of time in Singapore uh, recently, um, but obviously with the COVID-19 situation, been in Sydney for, for quite a while now, uh, 
probably the next stop for me is probably the States. Mm, mm. Yeah, we, we have a lot of people saying that, that when you're in Silicon Valley, things just happen a lot quicker and the networks around you are just crazy. So it's like, as you said, osmosis, you're just able to be a sponge to so many crazy ideas, amazing people. Um, but being at the heart of the Sydney startup scene yourself, how do you see the Australian sort of startup ecosystem developing in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, look, I think they've developed, um, they've done a really good job in developing over the past few years. You see the Sydney Startup Hub being set up um, just a few years ago. Uh, so great government support. Uh, you also have a lot of programs like accelerated programs that have come in as well. I know that um, back then there may have only been a few like Start Made or Founder Institute. And I know now the Antlers come in from, from the States as well. And so there's actually quite a lot of support for people who want to start their businesses. And that's like a really big thing for me, right? I feel like a lot of people, when they start their own startup, they, they, it is, it is hundred percent a lonely journey at the beginning, but it doesn't have to be as lonely as people make it out to be anymore because there are so many um, existing programs and networks and mentors that sit in this ecosystem um, over time. Right. And we've had success stories like Canva and Alassian um, that have pulled in a lot of the um, investment and sort of the infrastructure um, to support a startup community here. So, um, I think, I think we've done a fantastic job in terms of the next sort of like five to 10 years. Uh, I think what, where we could get better at is probably at the investment end of things, because again, ideas can only grow if they're funded, um, with, with the money to grow the team, to grow the product and, and really scale. And I think the investment community here in Australia can be a lot more bullish when it comes to, um, investing, uh, we're still as an investment community in Australia, very much fixated on applying investment banking principles to startups. That is looking at the financial model and looking at sort of the revenues. But um, if we take a, a leaf out of our friends from the US, they're investing very much in the founders. They're looking at founder fit um, as well as the size of the uh, sort of idea, um, which, which uh, will, will very much drive innovation, which, which is a, a bit of a challenge here in Australia for sure. Yeah, well, I think it's a hope for all of us that as the Aussie market gets a bit bigger, that the investors do become a bit less risk averse. Um, so, Evan, I saw, I think I saw somewhere that you you say that you want to grow Checkbox to a one billion dollar company. Um, and I was I was wondering what what was first your kind of vision with starting this? Because we mentioned at the start about finding your purpose. I don't think we actually um, dived into what your purpose was in founding this, and uh, where do you see it going? Yeah. So my, my personal purpose beyond, beyond like, you know, why am I doing checkbox? Um, my personal purpose that transcends through hero checkbox and anything else I do in the future is that I want to achieve um, and learn as much as I can as a human being achieve and learn as much as I can so that I can lead, inspire and teach others. Right. And, um, and for those of the people listening, I mean, I really love thinking about, yourself as very similar as an organization or a company, you know, where companies have values, you should have values where a company has a purpose. You should have a purpose where a company has goals. You should have a goal. Right. And that's really important because it gives you direction on the decisions that you make and how you execute towards a certain point. And so um, I really encourage everyone to actually try and distill down to one sentence, the way that I have what your purpose is as well. Right. Um, because it gives you clarity as to why you're doing things in your life. And so when you ask me, why am I doing checkbox? What's the purpose? I can always tie it back. I want to achieve as much as I can and learn as much as I can. So I can then inspire, teach um, and lead others. 
And so checklist for me, building a billion dollar company is because I wanna see the whole journey. I wanna see what it's like to go from zero all the way up to a billion um, and learn everything along the way, all the different stages from product design at the beginning to trying to get the first customer to getting fundraising, to going international, to hiring overseas teams, to getting, in, getting into M&A conversations and you know, the whole lot. I wanna do the whole thing. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily because I want to make a billion dollars. It's, it's not about the money. It's literally about the journey. It's about the learning. Um, it's about the fact that I can one day, you know, come back onto this podcast when you guys are, you, your podcast is listened around, you know, globally, globally as the number one podcast and actually say, look, I've done it. This is my advice. Right. Um, and you kind of need to have done it to, to give that advice and have that, that sort of credibility. And, and that's why I do it. Yeah. Um, and it's all about dreaming big, like life's too, life's too short. And, you know, if, you know, for, for people who are driven and, and have the talent to do it, we should be solving big problems and doing big things. So, you know, setting a billion dollars as, as the goal is, um, is, uh, yeah, nothing less, nothing less than that. That's energy. That, I feel like that's I feel energy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesomely inspirational. I think the fact that you can sort of pinpoint your purpose down to like one sentence, it's about learning, growing, teaching. Yeah. I bloody love that. Yeah. Love that. Um, I think this is kind of a, a good little segue into, I, I read that you had an interest in self-development. Um, maybe some of the best books and maybe pieces of content you've um, listened to or been exposed to for our audience. And just to add to that, maybe any role models that have sort of been in um, like, not, not so much movie, but any other startup, like sort of role models or people that you've really admired in this space. Yeah, I just want to say that just that energy of what you said just then, like literally I'll give you all the money in my bank account just from hearing that like one or yeah. two minutes, you know what I mean? And I think that that's so important that, I, and I think that's where the US is kind of ahead of us in the sense of founding founders instead of founding business models or EBITDAs. 100% yeah. Hundred percent. So, so actually, again, my, my answer to that question around sort of um, mentors and res uh, and like and like books and resources to, to really upskill, I I would say it. What is more effect? What is more effective than all of that? Right? Is actually the mindset of of um, always being retrospective and always seeing every opportunity as a chance to learn. Because when you ask me who is my role model, who is my mentor, I would say it's every single person that I've actually interacted with. Um, and I don't say that in any cheesy way. I actually say that in a very, very um, honest way uh, because at the end of the day, if you are treating every interaction as a chance to learn something, no matter who the other person is, then you're going to infinitely grow. I mean, that's literally what people call the 10x growth mindset, right? Um, it's it's the, the ability to sort of see every opportunity as a chance to learn um, and, and grow from that as well. Um, if I were to have to pick specific people, I, I would say it's the people I work with right now in my company. Um, you know, Ken that I mentioned before, Paul's another co-founder. These guys are, these guys are such machines and what at, at what they do uh, that every single day when I work with them, I'm constantly learning. And it's not learning technical knowledge per se, like tangible knowledge. It's literally how they make decisions um, and and just the pace in which they move with the work is is incredible. Um, so, so I would say, yeah, look around in your everyday life. That's probably the most um, sustainable and the most time efficient way to become a superstar, right? It's actually the mindset more than picking up any particular book. Um, having said that, obviously, uh, definitely watch the uh, Adam and, and, and Sachin podcast because uh, that's good quality content with amazing entrepreneurs. So uh, that, that's the plug I'll give you guys on your own podcast. <laughs> 
Thanks, mate. Um, any books, though, you can mention? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so some books that I really liked when I read through. So if you're starting off brand new, um, absolutely brand new, there's obviously the, um, the, the, what do you call it, Running Lean by Ash, who, which is like the fundamental sort of startup book. It teaches you how to use the Lean startup methodology. Um, and, and the great thing about these books is that they're quite practical, like they're not heavy in terms of content. Then there's also, um, I really like another book called um, uh, Radical Candor. Radical Candor. And that's really good for, uh, if you're, a, so I, I was a complete softie when I started uh, entrepreneurship. Um, and it was really hard for me to make hard people decisions and sort of deliver honest feedback because I was a people pleaser. Um, but as a leader in an uh, as a leader in an organization, particularly in a high growth startup, you kind of need to cut to the shit um, and, and be really high performing. And Radical Candor is a book that teaches you how to be um, uh, honest with your feedback, but also in a way that actually is beneficial for the other person. Because um, imagine if you had an underperformer and you don't give them the feedback, then it's actually a detriment to them more so than it is a benefit. So just tr training yourself to, to be able to deliver feedback very, very honestly and get what you want in an in, in assertive way. Um, and the last book I'll plug is um, actually one that I really like is um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Man, that was a good read. Hard Thing About Hard Things was a good read. Um, that's by um, Horowitz, which is... Sorry? Who, who yeah. wrote that? On, on, uh, yeah, it's... it's um, uh, the the uh, his last name's Horowitz. I think his first name was on 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 Andre Horowitz. Andre Horowitz. So I'm getting this all wrong, but um, yeah, it's a really good book because it it literally uh, it's a book around um, it's it's a business book that doesn't tell you all of the fancy like great amazing stuff about running a business and it's not theoretical. It's like here are the hardest things about starting a business and this is why it's hard. Um, and it's just so honest and it really puts things into perspective, I think, which is the coolest thing because when you start your own business, oh man, there are so many hard things. Um, and to read a book to say, look, it's actually very normal. Um, and these are the ways that you sort of go around it. Uh, it's super helpful. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a very kind of Tim Ferriss-esque question, but I was wondering if you have any kind of systems you have in your daily life. Cause you mentioned you get, you go on these 16 hour grinds and I imagine there's been moments where you've been sleep deprived over the last four or five years starting this company. What kind of mechanisms do you have in place to keep yourself mentally stable and kind of a happy and healthy functioning human being? Yeah. Uh, it's true. It's true. Look, I'm not going to lie. Um, my average work hours is probably between 15 to 17 hours a day. Um, and that's, um, and that's consistent. Yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy. Right. And, and it's consistent. Like it's, it's what I've been doing for, you know, the past four and a half years. Right. And, and a lot of people are like, what the heck, how do you do that? How do you sustain that? Right. Um, um, and the answer is, there's a few things. So one is support network is super critical. And I would say when you say support network, it's, it's specifically with your business partners, because the thing with startup is there is so much happening every single day that unless you're in it, it's hard for you to even explain it to your parents, to your friends, to your partner, um, or even to your mentors, right? Um, your co-founders are in the trenches with you and therefore they have the fullest empathy for what is going on. And the second thing related to that is um, often in startup, a big part of it is also perception. You know, perception to employees, perception to investors, perception to the public and customers. And so there's actually a lot of stuff that goes down that gets swept under the rug and gets solved before, I guess, it ever surfaces. Um, and because of that confidentiality or the sensitivity, you can really only share those really heavy burdens with your co-founders. 
Um, so number one tip is find co-founders that you can really, really sort of share and be open with at an emotional level, because uh, that's super critical. Otherwise, it's really, really tough um, sort of keeping that all into yourself. Um, the second thing is, um, uh, I guess you really need to like, for me, I work a lot, but I'm super energetic, right? Cause I freaking love my job and every single day I wake up, I'm excited to go to work and I can't leave the office cause I'm excited to continue building this. And that's been the case for so are many you, years. Are you sure you're not having like 10 coffees a day? Oh, that's the thing. I don't even drink coffee, dude. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't drink coffee, um, at all. So it's just pure, it's just pure passion and energy for what you do. And, and, and by the way, like people, cause when I first started checkbox, it was so much about regulation. Like people ask me like, what is checkbox? Like, oh, we automate regulation. I feel like, how are you so, how can you be passionate about regulation? That's the most boring, dry topic in the world. Um, and the truth is I'm not passionate about regulation. I'm passionate about what sits behind that, which is again, solving really big problems, attracting really smart people, and actually watching them grow um, and, 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 and have all these experience, so experiences. So, you know, um, when I say that I'm passionate about my job, it's not necessarily about the domain, um, which is, you know, regulation, let's say. It's, it's about the journey and, and, and what sits behind it as well. Yeah. Wow, so inspirational. I think this is the thing that sort of made me feel the most inspired to want to start a company, do a bit of a coding boot camp and just like <laughs> go and rent an office. Well, <laughs> you are needed a coding boot camp with checkbox. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Well, what, do you have any hobbies um, outside of work? I certainly do. Um, so I did martial arts for many, many years. That's probably my number one hobby. Uh, used to, yeah. Uh, did it for probably over, yeah, over 10 years easily. Um, did all sorts of stuff actually with um, even weapons. So like nunchucks and sword and long stuff. And I used to do a lot of flips, so backflips. And I used to run a demonstration team. So it was, yeah, I, I did a lot in martial arts and I still keep it up today, um, but just not as regularly. Um, I've never met someone who works 17 hours a day and then has enough energy to do backflips. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't drink coffee as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You're> a robot. <laughs> Um, and, um, yeah. And so that's, that's my main thing, dude. And, uh, I, I love playing music as well. So, you know, I, I play a bit of piano. I picked up guitar recently as well. I've been doing that. Um, but, uh, and volleyball as well. I love playing volleyball, team sports. Amazing. So yeah, I still, I, you know, the great thing about, um, um, where I am now is I'm starting to find a lot more time to fit and balance a lot of those things. Like the truth is the truth is right. Like, I mean, as an entrepreneur starting your own business and particularly a high growth startup, you will need to make sacrifices. And I was reading, uh, what other book was I reading the other day? Um, this, when I say the other day, I mean a few years ago, which is why I can't remember. Um, there was like a quote approximately, um, it, it's, it's something like, um, uh, in order to move forward, sometimes you have to be off balance. And it's, it's kind of drawing the analogy with walking, right? If you're balanced, you're standing still. Like, I mean, that's, that's mechanically, physiomechanically, if your balance is standing still. When, it's, when you take a step forward and you're off balance that you move forward and, and it's sort of talking about, yeah, you do need to make sacrifices um, and you do need to be sometimes unbalanced in the favor of getting to a certain place. Uh, because for a long time, it was, I was leave, living, um, living and breathing nothing but checkbox. Um, there was no sort of hobbies that, that could be fit into that schedule. Uh, but nowadays, kind of learning to, to balance that a lot better, uh, which has been really good for me personally. And, and what was the moment like when you found out that you were a Forbes top 30 under 30 um, entrepreneur? And did you ever expect that to happen? 
No, I didn't believe it. I thought it was a scam email. <laughs> so I got this email and it was like, um, hey, you've been, uh, you've been nominated to be a Forbes City on 30, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I, I didn't actually reply to it. I was like, oh, this is a, this is a scam email. Man who's never replied to Forbes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think they followed up and I was like, oh, shit, maybe this is real. And I, and I Googled, I sort of LinkedIn stalked the, um, the, the sender name. And I was like, oh, crap, they actually do work at Forbes. So, um, so I, so I, I replied and, um, and uh, yeah, and it was, it was, it was surreal. Um, and I was elected together with my co-founder, James Hahn, as well. And so we were both just over the moon. Uh, it's something that, uh, it's just something that you never expect to happen, really. Um, and then we were flown to Hong Kong, um, where we met the other Forbes 30 30 in like this kind of summit three-day event. And everyone there was freaking amazing. They were just incredible. I, I had serious imposter syndrome when I was there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm really privileged to be part of that list. Wow. Th that's amazing. And you just mentioned imposter syndrome. Um, we've got a lot of guests who say that they experience that. Do you experience that often? I think it was definitely the case for the first like three years, um, particularly, oh man, at the very beginning when you had to put your, put a job title on yourself and you just call yourself the CEO because you know, that's just what people call themselves when they start a business. Um, and someone has to be the CEO. It was, it, it felt really dirty. Like I was like, uh, like I'm not a CEO. I don't even like, it's just me or it's just me and my co-founders. I'm not a CEO. Um, and that definitely had, I definitely had that feeling for the longest time. Um, but as the organization grows and as you start to really make really big decisions and, and realize that you're actually making million dollar impact decisions at work that you start to then feel like, okay, I think, I think I've started to earn this title. Um, and so, you know, it, it's definitely, imposter syndrome is definitely a thing uh, for the first few years. Now it's getting a lot better, but as I move into new areas as well and speak with people who are very amazing in their field, um, I, still, I, guess I still get imposter syndrome every now and then, that's for sure. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, there's, there's been some incredible anecdotes in this and so many incredible stories. If you wanna, if you could leave our guests who are 18 to 25 year olds with one thing, what do you think that would be? I would say if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in starting your own thing um, uh, already. And I would say, go and do it. <laughs> like that's, that's my number one piece of advice. Like it's, it's, it's so easy to, to be complacent. Um, it's so easy to uh, say that you have an idea that you want to do a startup, but never actually do it. It is so common. And I think it's because people often think about how, um, what they want, and it's such a big gap from where they are, but it's not about that. It's not about getting to that end state or, or you know, having what you would in your mind think is a business. It's literally taking the first step of even just picking up the phone and calling a potential customer and asking them about their problems that you think your business can solve. Like it's as simple as that. It's a single phone call. And so for those of you listening, I challenge you right now, right here, I challenge you right now to pick up the phone and literally call a prospective customer. I don't know what your business idea is, but call a person that you think would be your customer and ask them about their problems. Notice how I'm not talking about your, your you're not pitching your solution, ask them about their problems. And then at the end of it, pitch your solution and get their feedback. If you can just do that, that's already gonna put you, you know, miles ahead of everyone else who's sitting there saying, oh, I have a startup idea. One day I'm gonna do a startup. That's my biggest thing for you guys. That's beautiful advice. Just go and do it. Cool. Love that. Love that.
Awesome. So yeah, that was um, episode whatever it was with Evan Wong. Um, <laughs> I've got to say that was, you're, you're the most passionate person that's been on the podcast so far. I think just the mix of your raw passion, but also your energy, your no coffee energy is just um, yeah. incredible to watch. Bit of a disclaimer, a like if, if there was a video camera in this room, Adam and I are literally going to jump around after this and be like, <laughs> let's go. Like, <laughs> but yeah, cool. thank you very much, Evan. We yeah, love no, no. Thank you.